Well, I'd like to invite you to open your Bible with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13. If you've been keeping up with the New Testament reading plan, then you know this week we read Luke chapters 11 through 15. This coming week it'll be chapters 16 to 20, and I encourage you to pick up a copy of the New Testament reading plan that's on the table in the back. And... Uh, and, and if you're just starting out, don't worry about catching up. Just start with where we are this week. And as I've said, most weeks I'm going to preach a sermon from one of those chapters that we're, we're reading. And today it's from Luke 16. And clarity is our word this year because we want to better understand Scripture. We want clarity in, in terms of what God is speaking into us through His Word, in terms of what He wants for us, what He wants for our church and our future. So... Uh, I hope you're praying that God is speaking to you this morning. We want to talk about a subject that is very real in all of our lives. It's making sense of suffering. There was a, a tragedy that uh, happened last Sunday evening out in California. Some of you may have heard about it. There were uh, some teenagers who were great friends, active in a, the youth group at their church, were believers, and they decided kind of spontaneously to have a, a sleepover on Sunday night at one of the friend's house. And they were, you know, eating junk food and, and uh, playing video games. But a little before 10 that evening, they had this idea, let's have some fun and play some pranks on some people. So they went out and got in the car. And it's, it's this game where one of the guys will jump out of the car, run up, ring somebody's doorbell or knock on the door and run back to the car and take off. You know, it was just teenagers being teenagers. And so they decided to do this. And they stopped at a nearby house, they thought, was where uh, somebody they knew, another, another guy lived, but they were mistaken. And so one of the teenagers got out of the car. He ran up to the house. He, he rang the doorbell, started running back to the car so they could get away. But the man inside, who's 42 years old, opened the door and ran out and started chasing them. Not just in the yard, but he jumped in his car and he chased them down the highway. And so those teenage boys started to panic a little bit and got a little faster, and he got a little faster, and he, he, he kept running after them as fast as he could until he caught up with them, and he, he rammed them in the back of their car. And they lost control and hit a tree on the side of the road. That's a picture, and, and I chose not to show you the one that shows how bad the car really looked. Three of the boys died. The other three were taken to the hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. And that 42-year-old man is now in jail, charged with three counts of murder with aggravated circumstance, meaning he could receive the death penalty uh, in California if convicted. Now, I don't know about you, but there's all kinds of words that come to my mind when I think of that story, you know, tragic, senseless. There are so many words we could use to, to maybe try to describe our thoughts and our emotions about all of that. And the truth is there are times in life when most of us and probably eventually all of us will deal with things, tragedies and things in our own lives that will, you know, we'll search for words. We'll try to understand why. We'll, we'll want to make sense of it. I've been part of hundreds of funerals over the years, and, and I've preached funerals when people have died in automobile accidents numerous times, and, and there have been times I, I remember going to someone's house in the middle of the night to tell them that a loved one has just died in a car accident. 
I've, I've been involved in numerous suicides, people of all ages, from the youngest to the oldest. I've been part of funerals where people were victims of murder, homicide. Funerals where uh, people died of, of AIDS or just different disease, whether it's cancer and Alzheimer. I remember as a young man uh, doing a funeral for the mother of a high school friend of mine. She died of food poisoning. And it was so tragic because they had a little place at the lake, and she went down there one week and thawed out some fish and fried it, not knowing that uh, they had lost power there sometime previous to that, and that fish had thawed out and then refrozen. And she was there alone in a remote area, and she died. I've preached funerals of people who died in plane crashes, overdose, sudden unexpected heart attacks, and on and on I could go. And the point is that, that all of us experience things in life, and, 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 and they're not always easy to, to make sense of. And so I want to talk about that a little bit today because the truth is that is not unique to us. It's been true of, of human beings from the very beginning. It's true of people in Jesus' day. And, and in Luke 13, Jesus has already started uh, gathering large crowds, attracting large crowds, if you will, not only his disciples and other followers, but people coming from all over that part of the world out of curiosity to see him, to hear him, to ask him to heal them, perhaps. And, and often there were, there were these interactions between Jesus and people in the crowd. And so in, in Luke 13, if you have your Bible... Uh, and I encourage you to open your Bible, chapter 13, verse 1. I want you to notice what it says. Now, now, on the same occasion, referring to things that are recorded in chapter 12, there were some present, some people there in the crowd who reported to him, who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? And then Jesus said, I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you all will likewise perish. And then Jesus refers to another incident in verse 4. He says, Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell in killed them were worse culprits, worse sinners than <clears throat> all the men who live in Jerusalem? Jesus answered his own question in verse 5, I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, the only place you find those two stories is in Luke's gospel. They're not recorded in Matthew, Mark, or John. They're not recorded anywhere else in any of the historical records that have been identified so far, this is the only place you find these two stories. And in the first one, some people in the crowd are telling Jesus about an incident that had happened in the recent past that was fairly well known apparently that there were these people from Galilee which would have been up in the north they had traveled to Jerusalem and the reason we know that is because the only place you could make sacrifices was at the temple there in Jerusalem and so they were they were killing the animals they were they were making their sacrifice in the temple and for whatever reason maybe because there were a lot of people from Galilee who were kind of rebellious and insurrectionists against the Romans but for some reason Pilate 
executed them. And, and he took the blood from, from their deceased bodies and mingled it with the blood of the animals they, were, they had come to the temple to offer as a sacrifice in an act of worship. And, and, and you're thinking, would Pilate really do that? And the answer is yes. Pilate was governor of Judea for 10 years, from about A.D. 26 to A.D. 36. So during all the ministry of Jesus, he was the governor of Judea. And Pilate was a cruel, evil man. There are written historical records of Pilate doing things similar to this to others. So it's not a stretch of the imagination that he really did what Luke tells us he did. He hated having to be governor of this, in his mind, this horrible, God-forsaken place, Judea. And he despised the Jewish people. He was very cruel. In fact, eventually... Rome recalled him and he lost his governorship because he was too cruel. Now think about that. Too cruel for the Romans to leave him as governor. And so he's, these, now get the picture. These people are in the temple worshiping, sacrificing to God, and Pilate executes them. And then Jesus asked the question, were these people from Galilee who died at the hands of Pilate were they worse sinners than all the other Galileans? Did this happen to them because of some sin in their life? Did, did, did they experience this tragedy, this, this murder? Were they victims because of something bad they had done? Were they worse than others? And then after answering the question, and we'll come back to it, Jesus himself brings up another incident that was well known there, and it's this Tower of Siloam. Siloam is a, an area just outside the ancient city wall of Jerusalem. Many of you will remember Siloam's pool that was there. And we don't know the details of the story, whether these were workers constructing a tower or whatever, but for whatever reason, this tower falls and 18 people lose their life. It's just a tragic accident like an earthquake or a hurricane or, or a, a building collapse for whatever reason. I remember as a, a kid growing up in Kentucky when uh, the bridge crossing the Ohio River uh, over from, from West Virginia over into Ohio collapsed with people and their cars on it. Things happen. And so after reminding them of that recent incident, Jesus asked a similar question. He said, are the, the people who died when that tower fell on them outside the, the walls of Jerusalem, were, were they worse culprits? Were they worse sinners than all the people in Jerusalem who lived and did not die? How many times have you ever had the thought, I wonder what, that person did to cause God to let that happen to him. Have you ever had the thought, what sin in my life caused God to let that happen or caused God to do that to me? The truth is, if we're honest with ourselves, many of us in this room have had thoughts similar to that, if not those exact words. Because in our effort to make sense of things, we 
There has to be a reason. We have to have something or someone to blame. And it was it was very common among the people of Judea in the time of Christ to think that if something really bad happened, the person to whom it happened must have done something really bad to deserve it. It was, it was normal for them to think that you can always draw a direct line between bad things that happen and some sin in your life, some decision, some failure, something you did that allowed this, that caused this. There's, that's, that's the common way they would think. And, and, and it's the way many of us, even if it's unconsciously, tend to think. You remember in um, John's Gospel, chapter 9, Jesus heals a blind man, a man who had been blind from birth. And this is the story where Jesus spits in the grand, in the dirt, the mud, and he, he makes some spittle, and, and he rubs it on the blind man's eyes and tells him to go and wash his eyes in the pool of Siloam. And this man goes and washes the, the, the dirt off his eyes and, and he can see. And there's a lot more to the story, but the point that I want to draw your attention to is when Jesus first meets this blind man and, and begins having a conversation with him, his disciples, his 12 disciples look at Jesus and they ask, they ask him, who sinned, this man or his parents, so that he would be born blind. Because in their thinking, any suffering that any human being experienced had to be the direct result of someone's specific sin. And again, sometimes we have similar thoughts something happens to somebody else and in the back of our mind we we maybe wonder what 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 did they do to cause that what did they do that caused God to do that to them or God to let that happen what sin are they guilty of I've, I've had conversations with people who go to church they're they claim to be Christians and something happens and in an attempt to make sense of it. Why did God let this? What did I do? What was my sin? But Jesus is teaching us something here from these two, these two tragedies. Remember, he, he raises the question, were these Galileans executed by Pilate, worse sinners than the others? So therefore they deserve this. Were the 18 people who died when that tower fell on them, were they worse sinners than everybody else there in Jerusalem? And that's why it happened to them? And Jesus in both instances answered his own question, didn't he? His answer both times was no. They were not worse sinners than anybody else. 
They were not worse sinners than the Galileans. They were not worse sinners than the other people in Jerusalem. No. And, and one of the things he's teaching us, there are many things, but one, things, one, one thing he's teaching us is that it is a mistake to automatically assume that tragedy is God's punishment for some sin in your life, excuse me, or another person's life. Don't automatically go there and say there must be a particular sin, therefore God is judging and punishing them or me for that sin. Jesus is saying, no, that's not how it always works. That's a mistake. And there are many wrong assumptions we make. It's wrong to automatically assume that tragedy is the result of somebody's sin. I can't tell you how heart-grieved I was when I heard preachers publicly talking as if they knew the very mind of God that when Katrina devastated New Orleans and took the lives of so many people, God was judging that city. All I can tell you is God's not come down from heaven and told me that's why it happened. So don't blame God for things when you've not heard the very voice of God say he did it and he did it for this reason. It's wrong to assume that somebody else is a worse sinner simply because something bad happened in life. It's a mistake to assume that suffering is always proportional to spirituality and to faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, how many men and women in Scripture who were very devout believers suffered? Was Job devout? Yet he suffered more than most of us in this room. So you can't always draw a direct line between someone's faith, someone's dedication, someone's spirituality, and the amount of suffering in their life. Sometimes very faithful people suffer more, and sometimes very evil people suffer less. It's a mistake to think that bad things only happen to bad people. We know that's not true. And it's a mistake to think we have the right to make judgments about another person because of something bad happened in their life and we think we know why it happened. That's a mistake. Now there are some lessons for us here. And intuitive, we already know this. Tragedy. Suffering. There's no respecter of persons. Isn't that true? No respecter of persons. It can happen to us at any age of life. Tragedy and suffering can come without regard to our background or our economic status or our educational level. It can happen to us in moments of faithfulness and moments of unfaithfulness. It's, it's, it's no respecter of persons. Jesus himself said that the rain falls on whom? The just and the unjust. Didn't he? Isn't that what he said? Suffering and tragedy is no respecter of person. Of, of persons. 
And it's not always tied to the level of your spirituality, your faith. In fact, Scripture teaches there are many reasons, many causes of suffering. But ultimately, they all go back to the, to the reality of sin and that this is a sinful world, we're sinful people, we live in a fallen universe, an imperfect place, we are imperfect people, we have imperfect bodies, we have imperfect minds, we have imperfect decision-making processes, the, 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 the nature, the natural world is imperfect, all tainted by sin, and so ultimately you could say anything bad that happens is, is in some ways an, uh, an ex- part of that because of that reality, but it's not always tied to specific sin. So suffering happens for a lot of different reasons as we live in this world. Sometimes it happens because of other people. It has nothing to do with anything you did. Other people make sinful choices. If you get in a car drunk, drive, and kill somebody, your sinful choice impacted somebody else. Sometimes suffering tragedy is because of the wrong decisions, the sinful decisions of others. Sometimes it's because others, they're not making sinful decisions. Sometimes other people just make a mistake. It's not a sin. It's just if you're, if you're driving and get distracted, you're not trying to sin. You just get distracted and you make a human mistake. Why? Because you're not perfect. Somebody else can suffer. So sometimes we, we, we suffer because of other people. Either they're intentional, evil, and sinful choices or simply accidents and mistakes that, that others are responsible for. And, and yes, we are innocent victims. Sometimes we suffer because it, we, we live in this natural fallen world and accidents happen there's there's an earthquake why because the earth as romans tells us is groaning every time there's a natural disaster it's it's an expression of this of this fallen world groaning looking forward paul tells us in romans 8 to the redemption of 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 believers in which at the same time, the world will be redeemed and restored to its previous level of perfection. But until then, sinful man lives in a sinful planet and there's disasters. And they just happen. Because just like you're, you, you are dying from the day you are born. Your body is a sinful body. It is a fallen body. And the scripture says every man and woman is appointed to us to die. But I'm dying now. You are dying now as our bodies age and there are, there are weaknesses in our body. And some of us have this weakness and others of us have that weakness. And sometimes it's not fair because some people struggle with more physical issues than others. Why? Because none of us have perfect bodies it just shows up in different ways in all of us it's the byproduct of sin but not necessarily a particular sin you committed sometimes we suffer because of our own choices anybody in this room sinless anybody ever made a choice and you paid for it Sometimes we do it to ourselves. 
Sometimes it is sinful choices we make. Other times it's just the fact that my mind's not perfect because I don't have a perfect body. I've got a sinful body, and I do something not smart, and, and, and I hurt myself. So it can be because of just an accident. I'm not meaning to. I'm not being intentional. It's just an accident. I'm responsible for it, and I hurt or I hurt somebody else, and sometimes there are sinful choices I make that you make, and we hurt ourselves. And there are those occasions when, as Hebrews makes very clear, God disciplines us as his children. So there are occasions when God punishes us, when God disciplines us. But what I caution you against is always pointing the finger and saying God did that because of. Unless God comes down and tells you that, be very careful when you say things like that. You know what's really interesting to me in this in this story? Jesus did not write a book about why good things happen to bad people. Jesus did not go into a prolonged answer about why there is suffering. Suffering exists because there's sin in the world. And one of the ways that God judges this world and judges us, as Romans 1 tells us, is he just turns us loose. He lets us go our way, do what we do, and suffer the consequences of it. He doesn't have to reach down and do anything. It just happens because God says, okay, if you want to live that way, go. Live that way. But when you when you bring all this all this all these problems on yourself don't don't look at me and say why jesus didn't go into a long answer about it did he he, he said did they suffer because of their sin because they were no and then immediately jesus became an evangelist No. They didn't suffer because they were worse sinners. No. But unless you repent, you will all, he says, likewise perish. He said it twice, verses 3, verse 5. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. They weren't, listen, they were not worse sinners. Do you know what they were? They were sinners. Like us. Like me. Like you. They were sinners. And Jesus said to those listening to him, talking to him that day, as he says to you and me this morning, as he says to all of us and to all humanity, he says, because we are all sinners. We need to repent. Oh, but I'm a good person. You know, good is a relative term. I'm good compared to whom? I'm good compared to him. I'm good compared to her. I'm good compared to the average person. Okay, but how good is your good? How good are you compared to holiness? How good are you compared to righteousness? How good are you compared to the Word of God? How good are you compared to God? 
good's a relative term. And the, the, the reality that all of us, each of us, me, you, we're all sinners, says that, that whatever goodness we have is colored by, is tainted by our sinfulness. Each and every one of us. Scripture says if we say to ourselves we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And because we are all sinners, Jesus says, repent. He's teaching us here that life is fragile. The fact that Jesus, you know, it's almost like, a, like an evangelist who uses two deathbed stories. It's as though Jesus is saying, here's what's happened. Here are these people who died for, you know, different stories, but they all died. Life is fragile, and, 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 and tragedy can strike at any moment. Life can end at any moment. And some of us have experienced that, and we understand it at a deep level. But he's saying, listen. He sounds a warning. He says, there's actually something that is worse than a tragic physical death. As horrible as that is, he says there's something worse. And that something worse is to perish. For unless you repent, you will all perish. Perish is not just physical death. It's spiritual death. It's being without God. It's eternal death. It's being without God forever. It's missing heaven and residing in hell. It's not having the joy that God wants you to have, but instead experiencing a suffering that is far worse than any suffering we endure during our years on planet Earth. And listen, all of us know that there are people who suffer a lot in this life, but Jesus says there's a worse suffering in the next life. And he wants you to be prepared to live so that you, you are prepared for whatever comes. He says repent. And that's not simply asking God to forgive you. It is that, but it's more than that. To repent is to experience significant change. A change of thinking, a change of attitude, a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of life. It is to turn. from yourself turn to him and one way Jesus is saying what's the answer it's not information it's as though he's saying the answer is me himself turn to me he says delaying repentance is a dangerous thing to do those six teenage boys in that car last Sunday night 
I can imagine them in the house eating whatever fattening snacks they had while playing their video games. As one of them says, let's go play that game. Not expecting the outcome to be what it was. These boys who were filled with such not only youth, but happiness and excitement. That's a photograph of four of them taking that one of their youth group outings um, a few weeks before. They were good friends. All six of them active in that church's youth group. All six of them believers, baptized, following Jesus. Teenagers, not perfect, who made a really not smart decision to go out and play a prank. Not knowing that the house where they rang the doorbell, inside of it is a 42-year-old man who was already facing charges for battery and child endangerment. Because you never know what you're going to encounter in life, do you? When you get mad and lay down on your horn, you, you never know who you're blowing at. Now, sometimes we, you know, because we're not perfect, we, we have a sinful body, a sinful mind. We're not perfect. We don't sin, but we're not smart, right? Things happen. But, 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 these boys, they knew Jesus. Do you? Because life's going to happen. Do you know Jesus? It was interesting, these two verses where Jesus said, repent. Verse 5 in the original language, it's, 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 it's the tense, it's the form of the word that means to, man, you repent. It's that one-time thing. It's that, it's that moment of decision when you turn your life over to Jesus, what we usually mean when we talk about getting saved and becoming a believer. But in verse 3, it's different. In verse 3, the word means an ongoing, continuing, repeated not just that you repent and give your life to Jesus, but you spend the rest of your life making certain you turn toward him. The rest of your life you spend turning from sin and from yourself and turning to him, a lifelong followership. Are you following Jesus that way? Are you drawing close to him today? That's what he wants for you. I believe that's what you want for you. So I'm opening the, the altar as a place for you to get on your knees and face before the Lord and say, Lord, I want to be closer to you in 2020 than any year in my past. I want to turn to you in such a way that I'm growing this year in a way I haven't grown in for, for, for many years because, God, I'm not going to settle for one thing I did sometime in the past. I want a relationship with you today that is repeated, is ongoing, and is vibrant. 
so that I can live and not waste my days, not waste my years, not waste my decades. I want to live because, God, the truth is, I don't know how long I've got to live, so I'm not going to be foolish and waste any of it. Whether I have a week remaining or 50 years remaining, God, I want every one of those days to be lived for you and to count. So as the team comes and leads us in singing our song of invitation, you're invited to stand and make your way to the altar and get on your knees here and talk to the Lord Jesus. Pastors will be here at the front. Decision counselors are ready to talk with you, pray with you, and help you. And you're invited to come and kneel and pray. Come to one of the pastors and say, today I want to become a follower of Jesus. Or today I want to repent and rededicate my life because I I really haven't been walking close to Jesus and I, I need to get closer to him. Or I want to be baptized. We're baptizing five people in our next service. Maybe you need to publicly identify with Jesus through believer's baptism. So let's all stand all over the room. And as we sing this song, make your way to the altar and make your decision for the Lord today.